Welcome to the Atlantic Baptist Church Podcast. Visit our new website at AtlanticBC.org. Or check us out on Facebook for the latest updates. Now, here's Pastor Carlos. To the real hero of the gospel story, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we have been born many times in this idea that the Bible, and I'm, I might have been a little guilty as charged, the Bible is kind of like a, a, about us in, 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 in a lot, and there's a balance to be followed. But the reality is that the Bible, it's all about the good news of Jesus Christ and what He means to us. From top to bottom, it's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these disciples that we spoke about and the true disciple of Christ always pointed others to the real hero of this gospel story. They showed us clearly that being a disciple of Christ is not a one-time wonder, but it's a journey to follow in obedience. We hear about Jesus, we seek Jesus, we experience Jesus, we remain in Jesus, and we make bringing others to Jesus the focus of our existence. That's what this Christian journey is all about. In return, Jesus promised that He would continue to reveal Himself to you and to me, becoming our living light and our focus in this life. If we can't get to that point, uh, I hope that through this series of messages in the book of John, we get to that point in our lives. Today we're going to find Jesus in a small town in the town of Cana. And I want you to Watch this movie because instead of reading all the scripture there, I want you to watch this, this video clip as a, as a foundation for our message today. We just saw a few snapshots of the life of Jesus as we see it in chapter 2 of, of the Gospel of John. It's very simple. I mean, he's invited to a wedding. His mother is part of the, the wedding too. His disciples are invited to come to that wedding. They're enjoying weddings. I don't know about you. I love weddings. Especially wedding cakes, okay? But that, that you know, I, that's the only time that I am willing to take a little bit of alcohol in a wedding cake. Uh, but the, the 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 thing is that they they go to that wedding and something happens in that wedding. It seems like the mother of Jesus was part had a part in the wedding because she, she they they run out of the wine and and you know wine is and I'm not going to go into the whole theology of wine. But John, uh, wine was something that was common to be in a wedding uh, at G- in Jesus' time. So they, they run out of wine. And the mother of Jesus, Mary, comes to Jesus and basically uh, tell him, hey, we run out of wine. Now, why she did that, I am not going to try to speculate, but she does that. And, and Jesus just basically turned around and said, it is not time yet. This is, what, what, why do you come to me? Because it's not time yet. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. But still... She turns around and she tells the people who are there, just do whatever he tells you to do. And we find Jesus asking them to fill up this, this big jars that were used for the, for the ritual cleansing of the hands uh, of the guests of all this, 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 uh, uh, parties and this weddings. And, and, and they fill up these jars and then he asks somebody to take the, uh, a sample of it to the person in charge of the feast and, uh, when she drinks it at this moment, only those that filled up the, 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 the jars with water, or the jugs that with water, uh, 
knew that they were that it was water. And he announces that in a normal wedding, you give the the best wine first. And when everybody starts kind of seeing the ceiling moving a little round in circles, then you you give the uh, the bad one so that they don't get, you know, they didn't have designated drivers back then. So so uh, that you give the, 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 the weak one uh, at the end of the wedding. But that was not the case in this wedding. That's, that's a simple uh, 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 kind of, if we rewind the movie, that's simply what, what happened. On the third day, the Bible says, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. There is a wedding in Cana. We don't know who's getting married because it doesn't tell us, just tell us that there's a, there's a bride and there's a bridegroom. There's a wedding going on. Jesus' mom's, mom, Mary, it's there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to this, to this wedding. So I want you to pause right there. I want you to just, just think about this. That's the picture I want, I want to tell you. There are in a wedding. We are exposed here to, to another one of those many snapshots, like Pastor Jerry calls it, uh, that John will, will, will throw at us to show us, to show us that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He does this in his pursuit to, to prove that Jesus is the Christ, or not really to prove, but to, to kind of set the, 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 the case for, for this, for us to believe. What we hear, what we see here is, what I want us to see here is a Jewish wedding. And in it, I want you to see the gospel story in a wedding. I was exposed not too long ago, and while I was studying for this, to a book written by Dr. Richard Booker. It's called Here Comes the Bride. He's a messianic theologian. And he points out how Jewish weddings customs are significant to our beliefs as Christians. And it's awesome to see how he presents everything uh, with respect to their weddings. Now, weddings are different. I mean, no, coming from different backgrounds, uh, weddings are different. I mean, the best wedding I've had, I had an African-American wedding that it was awesome. Because everybody in the, in, in the wedding, except the preacher, walked out of that place dancing. Okay, I cannot dance. So they, they're all, it was, every wedding is, is different. And I, I like to do that. I like to sit down with a, with a bride and the bridegroom and say, okay, what do you want to see in your wedding? These are what typically you will see in a wedding. How do you want to make it happen? Because it, it, it is the most memorable time that, that bride will have in her life. So I want to make it really memorable. So it, it, it changes, but, he, he points at, at us, he, he kind of shows, showed me and shows us uh, that there are some elements that typify the Christian experience in the typical wedding, uh, Jewish wedding. The first thing you see is the engagement, the, the betrothal. It, 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 it's different than what we see here. It is binding. Remember when, 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 what happened when Mary, uh, she got pregnant by the Holy Spirit and, 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 and Joseph wanted to do the right thing and separate. They were already engaged. And it was a legal, uh, engagement. It was like, like, like they were married already. And the only thing that could, 
that could break. It was kind of a divorce, but it had to be with proper grounds, like like one of them was uh, unfaithful to the to the commitment, and, and and that's what you see in the in the story of Mary and Joseph. What man what the what the bridegroom does is he prepares a contract, he prepares a covenant, and, and he presents it to the to the woman and to her father for their approval. There, included in that contract, there is what is called a bride price. There's a compensation for the for the cost that of, of raising that that woman, and and, and also uh, as an expression of love for her. So you know you you didn't use uh, 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 groupons uh, coupons to to kind of lower the price. You you paid as much as you want because it was an expression of love for her. You didn't want to look bad, guys. So they 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 came up with a contract and at the same time a compensation for her as an expression of love. Then there was the acceptance. To see if the, if the proposal was accepted, the man would pour a cup of wine, give it to the woman, and wait to see if she drank it. If she did, they were engaged. Then he would turn around and present her with lots of gifts. And after she received those gifts, then he would leave for a time. And she would then wait for him to come back for her. They're already committed to this marriage. Then you have the wedding chamber. You know, before he, he left, uh, from, from, uh, from this, you know, it's already been approved and, and everything's okay. Yes, I want to marry you. I accepted the price. I accepted the, co- the covenant. I, I accepted the gifts. He would stand at, in, in, in somewhere in, in, the pre- in, the, in the premises and he would shout, I am going to prepare a place for you and I will return for you when it's ready. Sounds familiar to you? He would then leave. And go to his father's house and build a honeymoon room there. The father had to approve the room before he could go back and pick up his fiancée or his bride. If anybody asks what the date of the wedding is, you couldn't have calendars and planners at that time. He would have to reply, only my father knows. Because it has to be approved by the father. In the meantime, the bride would be making herself ready so that she would be pure and beautiful and ready when the day come. Then you see that you come, here comes a wedding. The wedding was very different than here. Much, many pastors like me would probably go bunkers on this, but that's the way it goes. The wedding, uh, when the wedding chamber was ready and it was approved by the, by the bridegroom's father, he could then go and collect his bride. He would do it at any time, so the bride had to be ready. One of the things the bride always had to have, had to be re- had ready with her was a lamp, an additional oil for that lamp. When the groom and his friends got close to the bride's house. They would shout and blow a shofar to announce their arrival. It was a great celebration, a great time of joy. The bridegroom would collect his bride, 
and go into this new chamber for seven days of honeymoon while the bridegroom's best friend waited outside for the for the bridegroom to come out and say that their marriage has been consummated. And then the party started. Without the couple, they would start a party because the, the, the marriage has been consummated. They started partying way, way ahead before the actual celebration of the wedding. Imagine a, a seven-day party. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. When the couple emerged from their honeymoon room, seven days later, the marriage supper would begin. Now, what is the significance of, of this for us as Christians? What, is, what, what does all this have to mean to us? Well, let me give you quickly what it means. Jesus came to this world, and we saw that two weeks ago. The Word came to this world to present His marriage contract, His new covenant to those who He, who he created. And to give His life as the bride prize for all who would accept Him. That's what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 19. The Bible says, let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His wife has made herself ready. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's you and me, followers of Christ. Blessed are we who are ready for that marriage supper of the Lamb. John in chapter 1 and verse 11 and 12, we read it uh, a couple of weeks ago, said, He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him, but as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, the bride of Christ, to those who believe in His name. Well, the Bible says that He came to this world to present a, a new covenant and, 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 and to give his life as a price, as a bright prize for all who accept him. But after that, he went through all he went through. And, the, and, and we know that after he rose again, Jesus spent 40 days with his new bride, his new established followers in church. And went to prepare the wedding chamber up in heaven where Christ and his church, his bride, will spend an eternal honeymoon. Jesus said, I, in my Father's house, are, are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. You see the connection just the fact that we went to that wedding, they went to that wedding, it's a, it's a very significant thing. Now we also know that, that, that only God the Father knew when the time has, uh, we need to remember that, that only God the Father knows when the time has come for the, for the bridegroom, Jesus, to collect his bride, the church. The bride, his, which is his church, must, must be ready at all times for his return. In Matthew 24, Jesus said, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. In Matthew chapter 25, 
Jesus says, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamp and took, took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the, bri- the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. And then he gives us a warning at the end. It says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor, nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Church, bride of Christ, brothers and sisters, are you ready for the return of the Lord for his church? Are you ready for the return of the bridegroom to collect his bride, which is his church? Are you ready? If you're not, get ready today. If you're not, you need to get ready today. Now back to the, to the wedding in Cana. Now I want to see another snapshot. We see first the uh, uh, picture of, of, of the wedding and the symbolism and the meaning it has with respect to our, our following Christ. Now we see a mother and son confrontation to show us the Savior's authority in that conversation. In John chapter 2 and verse 3, 5 it says, And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus basically took a look at her and said to her, Woman, this one has a different version. But the, the, the true uh, Greek word, it's word uh, the, the true word used here is the word just woman. What does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And then it says that his mother said to the servants, whatever he says <coughs> to you, do it. Was Jesus rude to his mother, calling her woman? What did he mean when he said, my hour has not yet come? Well, I, I, let me tell you first, so let me eliminate the first question first. If Jesus was rude to his mother at the wedding in Cana, then he was rude at, at, at Calvary when he made John responsible for her well-being after his death. John chapter 19, verse 25 and 20 to 27. He wasn't rude to his mother. He was not rude to his mother. Children are alone from God. Isn't that true? Some of us are paying longer period of time. But children are basically alone from God. They, they are our responsibility for a season. A day comes in which they cease to be our responsibility. And they cease to be under our authority as parents anymore. That's a day when you... Return them to the Lord. You pay the loan totally and say, okay, they're all yours. They're on their own. And or they are the responsibility of someone else. Like when we give our daughters to, to a, a, a man. Jesus, in this picture, was just lovingly making his mother know that he was no longer under her responsibility and under her authority It was his time now to follow his father's redeeming plan. It was his time now to say, okay, you did your job. 
now I got to follow and finish what God, what the Father sent me to finish, to do. That included the fact that it wasn't his time for his ministry to be made public. It wasn't his time yet. You know, after the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, in the book of, of Matthew, we see this scripture. After, after he was taken to the wilderness and, and tempted there, he waited until John the baptizer was put in jail to make his ministry public. Read in, read in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 12 and 17 as you see it there. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, then he departed to Galilee. And from that time, verse 17 says, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mary understood it. I love this, this, this video clip. Did you, did you see Mary's face after he said what he said? She wasn't insulted. She was meditating. She was thinking. And she got it. And that's why she was able to say, she did the right thing. She was able to tell the other people, I am no longer in authority here. Just do what he tells you to do. She relinquished all authority to Jesus Christ at that moment. Now, there are many things we can say when we come to this. But I have one that has been burning in my heart for a long time. And, and I really need to tell you, and I, I know that some of you... Uh, you know, may not agree with me. That's fine. You still my brother. You still my sister. I still love you. And I got to put up with you for eternity. And you got to put up with me for eternity. So we are okay here. But uh, allow me to talk to you about a subject that is really burning in my heart because I keep on hearing more and more and more. And I and I know that I'm not going to hear again from you guys that are here. But but I I keep on hearing all the time. And really, I've been praying about this. It's about this business of claiming blessings of our own choice from God. It's about this business of declaring God's promises as if we had the power to tell God what is good and what is not. As if we had the power to tell God when to do something and when to not do it. I I got issues with that. I got issues with that because God is God and you are not. I am not either. He is sovereign over everything and I don't, he doesn't ask me for permission for anything. He may have a promise in the Bible that he chooses to withhold in my life for whichever reason. So I don't have the power to claim it. I don't have the power to declare it. I have no power whatsoever. He is God. He is sovereign. He is in charge. He tells me when to jump. I just ask, how high? He is the one that tells me where to go. And I just put the address on my phone and get the directions and there I go. He is in charge. He is God, guys. We have, and I, and I showed you a little bit of it when, when I preached two weeks ago. We have created this God that He looks just the way we want Him to look. Who dresses just the way we want them to dress. Who speaks the way we want Him to speak. And to do for us what we want Him to do for us. That is the wrong God. That is not the God of the Bible. 
That may be the God of some preacher out there that is wrong altogether. But it's not the God that I find in the Bible. In Isaiah chapter 21, 29 and verse 16 of the good, uh, the God's word version says, you turn things upside down. It's given you a warning. You turn things upside down. Is the potter not better than his clay? Can something that has been made say about its maker, uh, uh-uh, uh, you did not make it, make me? Can a piece of pottery say about the potter, You don't understand. How many times I've heard that? How many times I've come to you and I've said, you know, the only, the only way I can guarantee that whatever happens to you, it's God's will, is if you follow His will. If you do what He tells you to do. Now, does that mean that it's gonna be good? from my point of view or your point of view? No. All I'm saying is the only way I can tell you the outcome of what you're going to do is God's will is if you follow His instructions. If you follow His leadership. But this business of claiming and proclaiming and and declaring and all this kind of stuff, come on, I don't tell God anything to do. I, I, I lower my head in humility and tell Him, Lord, would you please do this? And whatever happened, I will praise you anyway. Whatever happened, I will love you. Whatever f- happened, I will I will follow you. Enough with the movies where everything works out so beautiful. Because that's not the reality we all live. The reality that we live is sometimes we're praying for something and, and God gives us something, gives us something, something else. We're praying for apples and we get grapes. Or raisins, which I don't like. You know, it's it, 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 that's a reality. And what am I to do? To tell him, but you don't understand, God. Dumbest thing you can do. To tell him that he doesn't understand. In Romans chapter 9 and verse 16, Paul says, God will choose the one to whom he decides to show mercy. His choice does not depend on what people want or try to do. It is not about you. It's never been about you. It is about Him and what He wanted for us to reflect. Today in our lesson in in our small group was awesome to to repeat that same thing. Did you know that 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 we almost everything that we do we do it to reflect our own glory? Big mistake. Because God created you to reflect His glory. Would you imagine how ugly you would be if God would have created you in my image? How bad you would be if God created you in my image? Don't feel bad because it would have been the other way around. It would have been bad too. God created us in his image. And, and, and basically it's about him. And he chooses to show, to show mercy to whoever he wants to show mercy. And it doesn't depend on what you want or what you desire, what you're praying for. His will always show up. With God... It's all about his purpose or his will, whatever word you want to use, and about his timing. Mary got it, so should you. And lastly, I want to show you the, the actual sign, okay? A sign that leads us to eternal freedom. The scripture says, now there were 
set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And you know the rest of the story. They took it. Master of the feast drank it. It was so good. He goes to the, to the, to the uh, bride, uh, the bridegroom and said, you guys have to be crazy. You, you, you served the cheap wine and now you're serving the expensive way. You got it all upside down. Well, I like the last verse in verse 11 there where it says, This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. And you know what happened? His disciples, his followers believed in him. What is it that you see here? What is the message behind the sign? Well, in Exodus chapter 7, verses 14 to 25, Moses is used by God to turn water into what? Blood. And this was done in an effort to free God's people from the bondage of Egypt. Jesus turned water into one, which by the way is a type of the blood of Jesus. You've seen it every time we do the Lord's Supper. Jesus shed his blood at Calvary to free you and to free me of the bondage of our sin. See the relation? As he celebrated the last Passover dinner with his disciples, Jesus took bread. Gave it to his disciples as a remembrance of his body to be given at the cross for their salvation. And then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. His blood typified Typifying his death is the new covenant we got in Christ. It's the new agreement between God and you. It's the contract between the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, and the bride, the church of Christ. Christ gave his life at the cross to pay the penalty you were to pay for your sin. Not him. He had to die because of you. His blood has made you free of this bondage of sin. Chapter 1, verse 17 of John says, The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law, with all the guilt it places on you and me, was given through Moses, but Jesus came to shower us with with unmerited love and to lead us out of the bondage of this world lies. And on to God's truth and the freedom that it bears. Why do we choose to continue to believe the lies of this world? It's beyond my understanding. Here's the message, and with this I conclude. Here is the message behind the sign. The sign that we saw here. Jesus is God's, God's, God, God's good news for all to believe. In Him, God's authority over His creation and sin has been established. Sin and all the lies this world throws at you find their match at the cross of Calvary. Jesus 
Just as Jesus' disciples witnessed his glory and believed in him, I pray you too see his glory in this, the first of his signs. And believe. And believe. Without Christ, you are still slave to sin and its, and its eternal consequences. You're still bound by sin. In Christ, you are slave to the Father for the enjoyment of all things He created and the trusted direction of your life here on earth and for all eternity. May the Lord be praised. I want to pray for you a second. And we're going to we're going we're gonna to listen to this song and then I'll come back and close this time together. Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful snapshot, this beautiful set of snapshots that we have seen here today. Thank you for the symbolism behind this wedding at Cana where we can see, Father, where we can see that you are our God and Jesus is our Savior and we are your bride and he is the bridegroom coming back for us. Sin and all the lies of this world have kind of blurry our view of, of this reality. Father, I pray that you take that, that thing that is blocking our sight and you take it away, Father. Forgive us of our sins. Cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Help us to live a life that will bring honor and glory to you. That will reflect that likeness in which we have been created to you. Thank you, Father, for your word. In Jesus' name.